Pete, 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 Pete. Good afternoon, Tom. Hello. If you know anything about me, you know I'm about three things, correct? Yes. Ding-dongs. Ding-dongs? I don't even know what that means. Oh, come on. You're a ding-dong fan. Ding-dongs, the chocolate cake with the, the creamy filling. What? And probably probably it would involve pork rinds and uh, Schlitz beer. Those are the three pork- things. Okay. This is already a disaster. I'm putting you on probation. I'm starting again. Here we go. <laughs> hey, Pete. If you know anything about me, you know I'm about oh, three things. <laughs> ding-dongs. Damn it. No. Okay. Other than ding-dongs, I'm about three things. And those things are chicks. Yes. Fast cars and sports. Am I right? Oh, yeah. No, that's what I think of. Right? Chicks. Oh, sports. You and Prince Harry. And so much sports, right? So much sports. So everyone knows it's Tommy Chicks, Tommy Fast Cars, Tommy Sports. There's no worry that I'm a nerd or no worry that I'm not masculine. Correct? That's We can just get that. No, that's absolutely right. By the power of Grayskull, you are not a nerd. Fantastic. I don't even get that reference because chicks. Anyways, uh, (laughs) but I do have a uh, confession is when I'm not in the park, you know, pushing a giant tire over like people do um i have been known to play a few video games oh uh, a lot of the video games are about chicks but we're going to talk about different ones uh, you have played some video games correct no because chicks okay so it's just also me. i've heard a lot about video games so I, I feel like i can truck with this conversation oh good you can speak for a friend great yes for a friend all right well in my video game life i have killed terrorists i've stopped an alien invasion i've solved puzzles Oh, I won World War II. Wow, man, that's a... That was a big one. That's a huge turn. So you're welcome for that. There has always been a little bit of a stigma about video games. Uh, I had a lot of friends that played them when we were growing up. I am one of the only ones that I know of my personal friends. They say things like, well, I just don't have time for them. Or I have a child. Or time moves. Whatever it is. Whatever their (laughs) dumb choices are. I still play video games. uh, And it sounds like your friend does, too. And I have learned that uh, using video games as a form of mental health therapy has been around for a really long time. Oh, I'm delighted to hear this. And so will my friend uh, also be delighted. Exactly. Uh, Yes, uh, we've been using video games to help people with anxiety, social anxiety, different kind of things for anxiety and depression for a long time. And actually, I did some research and multiple studies have shown that gaming stimulates Two pretty important regions of the brain. One is associated with motivation and goal orientation. The other associated with learning and memory. So you put those together. Basically, they figured out that if a game can set up a challenge, like a quest line to be tackled, and then you finish it and it rewards you for completing them, not bad, right? A fantasy world where plot lines are resolved and rewarded should be a pretty easy sell for those suffering from anxiety. Yeah. For instance, for MMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMMM
playing them causes a reduction in any kind of anxiety. In the medical field, there's also been a big breakthrough in that for 25 years, researchers have looked for ways to reduce anxiety of children facing impending surgery. Um, they've tried having guests come in. They've tried talking to them. The only thing that really works uh, and has been proven effective is allowing kids to play handheld video games. It shows that it was more successful at managing anxiety than any medications that they would give. All of this has to do with one big thing that video games can do is that it interrupts the cycle of anxiety because it breaks the cycle of attention. Because if you think about it, what is anxiety? You know, fear is worried about something that is happening. Anxiety is worried about something, being worried about something that might happen. It's the anticipation mm. involved with that. And so as a result, video games can help interrupt that cycle of anxiety because it breaks the cycle of attention. The cycle of attention. The cycle of attention that if you that if you're if you're perseverating or you have this anxious feeling in your head that you become too preoccupied with the game in order to just keep swimming around in that darkness of nonsense. Do you ever use video games for that kind of a thing? All right. I'm going to tell the truth now, Tom. Yes, I do. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Um, I I love it. And and of course, you know, I I spend less time and I, I know I shouldn't, but I spend less time thinking about the these benefits that you're describing and more time wor worried that I'm going to get stuck in it or that, you know, somebody's going to come home and catch me and I shouldn't be <laughs> playing a video game, right? Oh. Like I, I should be, so I should be doing something productive. It, it is an escape for me. It's a, it's a brain cleanser. It's a kind of thing that helps me. Um, it, it helps me to, to stop and slow down when I find I'm moving too fast and, and yes. I, I'm not making good decisions. Uh, I'm not thinking clearly if I stop it and slow down and focus on a game for a half hour or so, get through a level and then turn it off and come back to what I was doing. It's often just enough to just kind of flush the pipes. You know what I mean? Yes. That's a great way of saying it. Um, and for me, video games offer control. Yeah. Uh, I don't try. I don't believe that I'm a control freak. I don't believe that I'm over controlling. But to be able to be in a situation for, like you said, half an hour, be able to try something, try whatever you want. And if it doesn't work, I can try again. Yeah. I can save yeah. and restore. I can get it right on my terms and be immediately rewarded for it. That's a nice bumper to have throughout everyday life, which is just yep. no save button and chaos and sadness and sometimes good stuff. And sometimes you win World War II. Point being, <laughs> try taking your mind off it a little bit. Focus on something else. Get a little bit of that feeling of goodness for completing a goal. And then, like you said, once the pipes are flushed, ugh, then you can go back <laughs> to your normal life. As with everything, when I was doing research on this stuff, I also found a whole lot of articles talking about the dangers of video game addiction. That, of course, you find pleasure and comfort in this, and so then you play it forever, and you forget to eat, and then we find you a couple days later. So, I guess what I'm saying is everything in moderation. <laughs> video games are great, and don't be jerks all your life, and at some point, get a drink of water? I don't know. I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> Welcome to What's That Smell, a sometimes funny podcast about humans and their anxieties. 
I'm Tommy Metz III. And I'm Pete Wright. And every week, we each drag out one of our deepest, darkest anxieties into the light to share it, learn about it, and hopefully laugh about it with all of you. Reach out, send us a story of your own anxiety to something stinky at rashpixel.fm. Again, that's something stinky at rashpixel.fm. And with that, Thomas, I'll go first. Okay, Tommy, um, I've been waiting to bring this one out. I, I honestly didn't think I was even going to talk about it. Uh, oh. Because it makes me so wildly uncomfortable. And I thought, oh, my goodness, people are going to think that I'm super depressive and frankly suicidal. Oh, if, if I bring this out. Great. Episode 10. <laughs> Let's do this. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Call for Help by Pete and Tommy. Uh, I'm not. And, and I'm I'm really not. I, I so promise I, I'm not. But I started thinking about this and I I was sitting actually with a client. Okay. And and I was sitting we were having a drink and we were talking about, you know, the project we were working on and then I said, "Hey, you know, I started this new podcast." And this was right when we started. Like I I don't even think the first episode had gone live. Mm. And and she said, "Well, what's it about?" And I said, "Well, you know, it's about anxieties. We thought it'd be funny to to sit down and talk about the things that cause anxiety for us." And and she, she interrupted me before I even finished the sentence explaining the concept. And she said, oh, my God, do you ever have this thing, this feeling, this thing when you do that one thing? Oh, and sure. It it blew me away. I thought, OK, there's another person who sees the world the same way I do and is frankly terrified of it. Mm -hmm. And so I started, you know, over the last 10 weeks, I started just kind of poking around with other people. And I am stunned to say I'm not alone. I honestly thought I was completely alone. And the research backs up that I am, in fact, not suicidal. So let me let me just paint what? a picture for you. OK, this is a lot of, <laughs> a lot of lead up. I'm very There's excited. a lot of weight. I know it's it's very weighty. So, Tommy, I'm holding a gun now. OK, go ahead. <laughs> no, no. Okay. no. But but I do want you to close your eyes again. Do you remember how we do this little exercise? I do. Am I in a All construction right, this, site or I'm just no, no, okay. no. Now you're out for a walk. Oh, and and you're enjoying a beautiful day in oh. San Francisco. Hi. And you have this opportunity uh, to walk across the Golden Gate Bridge. Oh, OK. Mm -hmm. It's lovely, right? You've you've been to the Golden Gate. I have. Excellent. And you uh, you take off your shoes, probably, because deep mm. down, you're kind of a beatnik in this sure. in this example. All right. And you're walking barefoot across the Golden Gate Bridge, which we don't recommend anybody do. Sure. Right. Do but I there have you a are. pan You've got the blue sky. You, <laughs> you actually have hooves. Oh, good. And yes. Uh, and, and so you're, you're walking across the Golden Gate Bridge and you're enjoying the breeze and the blue sky and you get to the middle oh, and see. you stop and you think, huh, should I jump off this thing? <laughs> I know that this is a thing. That's interesting. Yeah. Tommy, this is totally a thing. I'm interested is... in getting into this because what I've heard what? this before and I'd like to know what this is about. Okay. 
oh, this damages me, right? There is a parking. The first time I, I experienced this, I was I was running late for another uh, uh, another client shoot. <laughs> I was late and I, I got to the traffic was bad and I had to park on the very, very top floor of this downtown parking garage. And it's like, you know, 14 stories. And I get to the top and it's open air, right? There's nothing Mm -hmm. open or no, no roof no nothing i'm parking it's a beautiful sunny day and i'm walking toward the elevator and i look over and i'm like oh my god there's like seriously that that railing is nothing i could i i wouldn't have to even make a very large step and i could walk off the top of this 14 story building mm -hmm. that is that's terrifying maybe i should maybe i should try that oh no i should <laughs> like oh and and i have this weird thoughts right right like, i I wonder what I would think about on the way down, right? I wonder what parts of my life would flash before my eyes on the way down. Or or I wonder if I thought hard enough after I take that step, if I could will myself back up, <laughs> you know? Will yourself? Like, you mean like you yeah, left like the ground, using but you can somehow... ESP. Yeah, oh, like I could, I could be in midair and think, no, I could, I could turn this around. Oh, <laughs> this was a, this was a horrible mistake. Yeah. I'd like a do over, right? Always I, I'm gonna try, go ahead and take a always try those kind of experiments when you're standing on the ground. <laughs> Instead, can I will myself? Like, don't try that along the way. But okay, no, that's no. See, these are important things. That's why we do this show. Look, okay, good. There I'm are glad to be here for you. <laughs> Uh, this is the strange. So you were telling me you have a, you have this experience. I do not have this experience, uh, but I've heard of people that do. That's why I'm so fascinated by it. Is there so yeah. there's a part of you that is a pull of what is it a what if? Because it sounds like maybe a potential reason that we go to see horror films. Have you heard this episode before? No, huh. why? Why? You're amazing. Really You're amazing. Yes, you're amazing. Why is that? I can't believe you got ahead of us like that. Listen, just listen. There are lots of potential physiological issues here as I'm okay. researching this. And there are words being used that are stunningly long and uh, and complex, like doctor words. Uh, one, you know, it, it starts with things like poor visual spatial control due to inner ear issues, uh, what, what we call weak vestibular signaling. Uh, this is when the fluid in your would lead to what uh, that causes balance issues, right? Oh, that, that you're worried about, you know, falling when you're dealing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. When you're worried about falling because you, you worry that you don't have the balance to to, you know, recover from that. There's also a, a something called vertical overestimation. Can you imagine what vertical <laughs> I'm overestimation on the first floor is? and then it turns out you're on the 30th. I'll just get a <laughs> breath of fresh air. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, actually, you're not far from it. Wow. Where it, vertical overestimation is is a condition in which you are unable to properly judge vertical distances yeah. compared to your ability to judge horizontal distances. So you could stand on a, a balcony that is one story above the ground and you could, you know, that might be 12, what do you think, 12 feet, 15 yeah. feet? Uh, and you look down and it feels like an impossibly high distance. Yet oh, when you look at a building... Okay. 15 feet uh, next to you, it feels like something you could clear uh, with a, a light jump, right? That it feels much closer. So you can't... Where do those kind of things come from? Is that a head injury or that's just no, how you're wired? No, it's just how you're wired. Again, it's part of this visual spatial control, right? This the, that, that you just can't judge distances. So that's that, that could be a part of it. Guess who else got involved, Tom? 
Sigmund Freud. Our old friend. Old man in the sea himself. Yeah. Yep. I bet the building's a dick. (laughs) (laughs) He called it the death drive. uh, And he said it actually, as you get older, you have a natural drive toward increased impulsiveness and destructiveness. And that may uh, drive your need to kind of see what happens when I step, take a long walk off a short pier. Uh, And and he said that some suicides are purely impulsive, that there's no depression or anxiety. It's just completely improvisational. You just see a height. Is it flexing against the uh, constraints that are around you? Is it the idea of that this is the rule and I'm going to break it? Yeah, maybe, maybe. Okay. But, you know, by, by the time you're uh, assessing that, it's probably too late. Right. I, I don't know, uh, honestly. And I didn't go that far because I, I found a paper that was published in 2012 that helped me wrap my head around this in a way that no one and no resource has been able to do before. Hmm. And it comes from Florida State University. And it turns sure. out this was kind of a pivotal, pl- uh, a pivotal point in the discussion of this phenomenon. A graduate student by the name of Jennifer Hames was studying at FSU, and she asked some folks in her department, hey, anybody have uh, this thing? Anybody heard of this thing? Uh, you know, this this issue with heights? Yep. Uh, you know, it's because it's not quite acrophobia, right? This is the right. acrophobia is it's just the paralyzing or, or kind of irrational fear of heights. You wouldn't go near uh, the edge. But you wouldn't even go you near actually, these There's heights. part of you that wants to jump. Yes. Just to see. Yes. Yeah. Just to see. Yeah. Right? Well, she said, we got to study this because we started looking at her. She and, and the team of students over there, grad students over there, started looking into the research and there was no research on this. And no. so they started writing uh, and studying. They interviewed a whole bunch of students, 400, uh, over 400 students, uh, and they uh, tried to tie their experience with this phenomena to anxiety and depression uh, and and see kind of who was dealing with real sort of biochemical issues and who was dealing with this new thing that they didn't have language to talk about at the time. Mm-hmm. And they came up with a paper that is called, optimistically, An Urge to Jump Affirms the Urge to Live. Oh, okay. Say that again, right? An urge to jump affirms the urge to live. And it is that that gives me the confidence to be able to even talk about this and not walk away thinking that people think I'm an absolute depressive that, uh, you know, they need to be calling a team. Sure. So here's how she explains it. Imagine a person with high anxiety sensitivity. Okay. Mm -hmm. She leans over a ledge of the Grand Canyon. In a super fast reaction to her physical sensation of anxiety, her survival instinct forces her away from the edge. Yet, when she looks at the edge, she sees it's sturdy. There was never any danger. Her brain tries to process an answer to this question, why did I back up if I can see it's safe? A logical answer to her in that state is, she must have been tempted to jump. Uh, uh, oh. You hear what's going on there? Here's the thing. Our fear circuitry in our in our brains, it runs faster than our conscious processing, our awareness, right? That's why when we touch something hot, we back our hands away before we recognize it's hot, mm. right? Uh, it, it, it hits us a couple of seconds later. In this case, our fear circuitry runs so fast, we end up in this weird space in which we get an alarm, alarm, alarm from a potential fear of falling, but we don't know why it was sent. 
And so while our conscious processing mechanism is being incepted by this speedy fear signal, we're left to think, why did I why did I back up? Oh, my God, I must have wanted to jump. So this is like real evolutionary. This is something that is bred deep, deep within us. Yes. And the fact that our mind is able to react that quickly, even before a rational thought is able to figure it out. Exactly. Is that crazy? That's fascinating. I love that stuff. Fascinating. So, yeah, psychologists, I mean, this was published in 2012 and psychologists appear to be aligning around this concept that the urge to jump should be more directly related to, as you said, Tommy, going to a haunted house or a scary movie. That the experience in these scenarios is, is like subconsciously reaffirming our ability not to buckle under fear. Right. This urge to jump and the rapid pullback, it's a sign that our fear response, it's still working. Yeah, that's amazing to me. Hmm. And it lets you sort of literally go on a roller coaster where you will be safe. Yeah. And I I won't have that thought of, I wonder what I I have this urge to jump. Right. And and the way I set it up in the beginning is a little bit too probably uh, sarcastic. Right. These thoughts of I wonder what what I would think about on the way down. That that's not really what it's all about. Right. What it's really all about is, oh, my God, like I have an urge to go over the edge there. And I also thankfully have that thing that stops me from going over the edge. And that I find is, uh, I, I seriously learned something new today. And I think putting those words to it really helps me understand my relationship with heights. That's amazing to me. Interesting. It's so interesting because it turns out because you're stuck and I, and it makes me think, Tommy, it makes me think about that, that limbo state, right? That state between conscious processing and reactive processing, right? Mm. And how many other times in our lives do we exist in that state and don't even recognize it and just feel funky and we, our perception of the world changes, but we don't know why. We don't know why it actually this ironically gives me a whole new anxiety about experiences that I feel like I may be just totally not in control of what I'm thinking and seeing. And I didn't know it now that I've conquered this height thing uh, and, and desire to jump. What's next? Take a number and get in line, universe. (laughs) That you're going to start like at night, just slowly burying yourself alive. (laughs) <laughs> and you'll be like, guess what? <laughs> guess what? Once the alarm comes off, I'm doing fine. I hooked a bell up or whatever. I'm trying to think of your other anxieties and how that would react. But, you know, who knows what it is? Who knows what it is? Maybe I'm standing in a gas pump and suddenly I find myself taking a shower in gasoline. Well, here it is. I'm stuck in limbo inception land. <laughs> Don't even know why I'm doing it. Feels like I should back up. It seems like a great revelation <laughs> leading to a lot of very self-destructive behavior. <laughs> I don't know if this is going to work out. The closest that I, this is a little bit of a sidebar, but it definitely does connect in that uh, your brain not giving you a chance. If your brain isn't giving you a chance and it's saying, what if it was to fly off there? Now I'm fine. Uh, this took place about four years ago. I was out wogging. In my apartment, that's a uh, that that's the combination of walking and jogging. Uh, and oh, Tom, don't no, ever use a, that word again. It's an Olympic thing. It's cool. Anyways, <laughs> chicks and sports. And I was hugging and I was going I was moving along at a fine clip and I looked over on the side of the road and there was a squirrel that had been completely run over by a car <laughs> so many times that it was barely not even a 
thing that could ever have been alive. It was just flat, completely flat, completely desiccated. And what I thought, I wonder what would happen if I ate that. That's exactly right, Pete. How did you know that, Pete? So here because in re- exactly in it. almost real time, this is what happened. Um, I thought that squirrel is flat, flat as a pancake. I wonder if what would happen if I ate it, and then I threw up. this is 9 a.m. in the morning no this is like eight this is before work so this is like 8 15 in the morning i'm walking and that's what happens is that squirrel's flat flat like a pancake i wonder if i could eat it and then i pictured a split second of me eating (laughs) this roadkill and alone this is before i had foster alone on this cul-de-sac at 8 15 in the morning the whole day is in front of me i threw up Pete on the side of the sidewalk. My day had just begun. And then I was like, I had like those post throw up sniffles. And then I'm like, what has happened to my life? And I just like a chart, like a Charlie Brown, like a peanuts character. I just hung my head and walked home. realizing you, you weren't even able to walk home no i couldn't walk it was just a slow shuffle of weird sadness and shame uh because my brain said let's go on this roller coaster i'm not gonna worry about this parking garage what if you ate that squirrel you idiot you didn't you threw up so now you officially know don't eat squirrels and enjoy your thursday like what a disaster but I don't know if that if that compares enough, but yeah, brains work too fast. Settle down, brains. <laughs> Find it sleeping in its nest before it wakes up. Touch it gently, you want it, feel it completely calm. Pete, uh, it was nice to hear about your plans of throwing yourself off a bridge. Uh, because no. Uh, no. My, my anxiety actually... Uh, Involves that a little bit in throwing a very off slight a sort of way. Not throwing myself out of a bridge, but potentially what comes afterwards, Pete. You're a flat squirrel. I'm a flat squirrel. <laughs> well, we don't know if that's going to be. <laughs> While I was not raised religious by my parents, my mom and dad, there's always been a lot of religion in my family. Uh, my maternal grandparents were Roman Catholic. And on my dad's side, he is the only one of his three brothers that hasn't gone into the Christian ministry. So I've always hmm. been brought up around a lot of religion. And, of course, if you think about it, with most organized religion comes a super fun place. Any idea what it is? It's been called Gehenna, Sheol. I was going to say shame, but it sounds like that's not the direction you're going in. <laughs> H-E double hockey sticks. I'm talking about hell, Pete. Hell, Pete. Oh, that's your new cat. That's your new nickname is hell, Pete. Yes, I'll take it again. I was not raised religious by my parents, so I haven't necessarily been there my entire life, although I have been very religious growing up at times, less religious. Now, if you've read the Bible, uh, the Bible is pretty sparse with its descriptions of hell. How based on what you know of the Bible, how would you describe hell? Do you have any ideas of what it actually says? I don't. I, I really don't. I, you know, and I should say, I, I took a class on the Bible as literature, and we were supposed to have read the whole thing, and I skipped around kind of a lot. <laughs> you skipped to the end, like most of your books. I get it. <laughs> Ooh, skipping to the end is horrifying at the Bible. Right. Anyways, <laughs> I guess the New Testament. Now, I've personally had my ups and downs with religion growing up. I've been very, very religious, have been less so, have been very against it in a very... Uh, angry, pretentious college student (laughs) came back to it 
either way, um, I have been always fascinated by the dread I feel by the idea of hell. And at one point, I realized that in my walk with religion, that is always changing, I realized that I only believed in heaven because I was afraid of hell. Oh. As a result, going to your getting up to the end of the parking garage thing, the the safe roller coaster, I have watched, I have consumed so many books, so many movies, most horror, which depict visualizations of hell. Um, I have so much of a knowledge of how Hollywood and different creatives can explain it or their depictions of it. I actually, I wrote my senior honors thesis in college on a comparison of descriptions of hell in books and in films. I'm very wow. well weirdly read about this thing that maybe I shouldn't be. Uh, and here's the turn is hell, 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 hell. I don't care for it, but <laughs> After thinking about this a lot for today's episode, I realized that I don't have an anxiety just about hell. I have an anxiety about the afterlife in general. And then I realized I don't even have an anxiety about the afterlife. I have anxiety about the idea of infinity or eternal existence. Really? That's what I have anxiety about. The idea of infinity or eternal existence. It is not debilitating. But only for the fact because it seems like, by definition, I cannot comprehend it. But it's the kind of thing that keeps me up at night sometimes. If I'm doing my, if we've talked about it in an earlier episode, I have sometimes trouble at what I called sleepy time. And during that, sometimes I can get a little bit shaky and a little palm sweaty and a little bit scared of the idea of eternal existence. I did some research on it. Fascinating. And it... It lacks its own. It's not in Wikipedia. It's not recognized by the DSM that we've talked about before. Uh, but it does have a name. And it is apiriophobia from the Greek apirios, which is infinite or boundless. And phobos meaning, of course, the god of yikes. Uh, there is no real discussion about this scientifically that I could find on the Internet. But there are a ton of people looking for help for this online through sites like Reddit, a ton. They go through devoutly religious and what has religion done to me to, I just heard about this. I've never been religious, but why would the idea of eternal anything be a good idea? There is something to be said about that. I got to be honest. The idea of any kind of infinity or any kind of eternity doing anything, there's no way for that for me to comprehend that that would be a good thing, especially eternal suffering. Ugh, get over. Yeah, it. no, oh, that's no. Nobody cares for you. you. Yeah, no. but the idea of eternal anything. Do you have any connection to this? Just sort of off the base of the idea of how an infinity or eternal anything, or is it just something that you're able to bat away because it's potentially impossible for humans to really grasp? I would say, in in terms of afterlife. I am in the category of exactly the opposite of you, right? I mm. I believe there is like I when we're done, I am I am food for worms and I'm going back into the cycle of life and somebody's going to eat eat me and there's nothing left. So I better do right by people here because I get greater enjoyment out of life in the world when when you know people around me are doing well and having a good time and I want to celebrate that I, I I'm not planning for anything eternal at the end of this so I may be very disappointed uh, when I actually pass on wait because there will be something y yeah like I have done no planning 
for anything after what's right now. <laughs> you haven't hedged your bet at all? Yeah, there's nothing, <laughs> nothing. I really, I am so comf- confident and comfortable in my right. own experience of this being it. And when they put a fork in me, when I'm done, I'm yeah. done. If there's something left, Tommy, I'm hosed. You're you're going to be in trouble. Yeah. And you do know that they do put a fork in you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's classic. Well, how, classic. How else are they going to know? I know <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yep. The fork test is a go. Do you feel so when you are worm food and all that? So you are assuming or you're under the assumption that you will not have any kind of um, existence or knowledge about continuing on. Yes. You're just saying that Correct. there will be some sort of energy force that sort of continues, but it won't be you. Uh, you, no, you, there's no conscious... identity of right. me, consciousness. Nothing happens right. after me. It is I am, I'm back into the the into the soil and and in, into the. There's nothing like we're just electricity, and it just it it will change. You know, it'll change state. And isn't it weird to think that there is a level, at least for me, of comfort in that? Generally, yeah. I belong to the idea of, as I talked about Becker in an earlier episode about the denial yes. of death, that almost I do believe that a lot of things that we do, the majority of things that we do, consciously or subconsciously, are a denial of the fact that we are going to die. But that actually compared to an afterlife or eternal existence, the idea of just lights out is very comforting. You know, it's funny as you bring it up because this actually is is a rift between me and my own like mother. I think you know, I think she you know she has a very different feeling about uh, what's next. I have you know many friends who believe so deeply in uh, you know a, a reincarnation state. Like we all you know we're going to come back as you know, something. I know the major world religions believe that we're going to come back, and I am a total right. waste of space in those contexts because right. um, because there's nothing left. But some after you know after some days after really long days really big projects that have just beaten me up. Um, I, I'm not going to lie to you. Sometimes I lie down and I think, you know, in in another 50 years, I, I'm going to get to die and take and take a break. <laughs> well, that's interesting, too. Um, and of course, you know, when you think of eternal or infinity a lot. You only think about, not only, I always think about the afterlife. It was partly how it was brought up, but it's not just that it's for me. It's the idea of infinity. There's something so chilling about that space, Pete. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's infinite. It's endless. I have a real problem with that. That's what I've been brought up to believe. It's endless. It will never end. It makes my mind almost want to eat itself. There's just, (laughs) I don't get it. And I'm trying to see what that really means for me. And I guess it's like, you know, when some people, there's two types of people. Uh, There are people that look up into the sky when they're camping and they're away from the city and the stars are everywhere. And they look up and they go, wow, look at all those stars and all those galaxies, all the endless everything. Doesn't that make you, doesn't that help? It either makes people feel good or bad. If it makes you feel good, it's because there's nothing to worry. All of my worries, all of my everything, it's just this little blip on this little round marble we like to call Earth. And doesn't that put everything into perspective? Mm -hmm. For me, potentially, because I'm a narcissist, that makes me feel terrible. (laughs) That makes me feel really (laughs) insignificant. That makes me feel like, well, I'm just, my entire life is shouting into a tunnel, an empty tunnel waiting to be forgotten. 
And so oh. what's the point of all of it? Well, I it may, I can see how you would see that. I just get kind of mad. I get mad because we as humanity haven't figured out a way for me to see more of it. Uh, that I feel like I was born too early. And so when I think of the infinite time scale, what, uh, you know, I don't think of what's going to happen after I die. I think about, could I actually, you know, is that head freezing thing really an option? Like, could they just freeze my head so that they could bring me back on an Android body in a thousand years so that I could see more of space? Because that's what I get mad about. I want to see more of it. The fact that it's infinite doesn't bother me. Uh, Wait, the but, fact but that- I feel like there's a contradiction there. It's like, how much will be enough? It's infinite. You can freeze your head and bring you back and be like, here's the next million years, and then we'll see you. Like Taking a million years out of something that is infinite is a yeah. drop in the bucket. Yeah. More, I'm just curious about what else is out there. And and I feel like I was born too early because I can't really get a sense of it. I want to kind of, I, I, I want to explore uh, more of it. And I'm not smart enough to be an astronaut, so... Um, you know, there's that, but it doesn't intimidate me. It doesn't scare me. I, I don't get, you know, I, I don't get weirded out by it. I, or I get any sense of, of hopelessness. Generally what I think is, wow, you know, there's a chance that I made kids that will be able to see that, uh, that mm. will be able to go into space. And, and in a lot of ways, like that's their experience is a way that I kind of get to live forever in, in a kind of a sweet way. I, I don't know. Um, no, that's a part of the denial of death. I'm not trying yeah. to relate your having children to a book that's on my <laughs> wall. Yeah. But yes, that, that there there is a version of immortality that comes through children. Sure. Sure. So I, I actually I do. I find myself deeply curious, but it's much more of a practical curiosity and not mm-hmm. a metaphysical or existential curiosity. Um, and, and so, no, I, I generally feel pretty good when I look up at the stars. OK. And same with when you're thinking about space. Yeah. And love space. if existence did go on forever in some way, your knowledge, your ability to understand where you were, how does that sound? Well, you you opened this with a discussion of eternal existence in hell, and you gave me the nickname <laughs> of Hell Pete, and right. so I'm not cool with that. Did I spoil the lead a little bit? <laughs> I, yeah. But no, I, I am definitely one of those people that if the option, if science were to intervene and say, okay, we have a way to keep you alive forever as an intelligence that can experience and and experience sensorily the world, uh, you know, for an indeterminate amount of time, would I take that option? Yes, I would. Would I go full lawnmower man and put my intelligence in a computer that could jump around the Internet and go into space through all kinds of things? Absolutely. Yes, I would. Would I also want the option for an off switch when I'm done? Yes, I would take that, too. Mm, Yep. And that's the big hedge. That's the big hedge. That's the big the idea that you would still have enough control to be able to say, and I'm done. Yes. That's what eternity and infinity does not give you. Yes, that's right. And that that I think I, I totally and that's why I'm sort of comfortable with the here and now. I'm comfortable with knowing that if I do right by you, Tom, as a friend and mm-hmm. your life is made better because of my attention to it in some way that I, I try to to, you know, have fun and laugh with you in a way that that makes that that makes your life a little bit better. You are making my life a little bit better. I feel like that's our purpose in this place. And I don't need to think about anything beyond that to be happy. That makes a ton of sense. And that's a really good way to boil it down. Again, what I brought up is 
you and I sort of hanging out, making each other laugh forever, Pete. You think it's hard to edit the the podcast right now? Forever, Pete. You in? You're strapped in? I'm ready. Let's do this. Forever. Oh, my God. You did. You just described hell. <laughs> Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Guys, you have got to get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial. 30 days free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash scent of a podcast. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Pete? I, I wanted to try to get somebody something that relates from my Audible library. And you know, I've told you, Tom, I have hundreds of books that I have in my Audible library. I am a fan of Audible. I've been a member myself for 17 years. I mm. love Audible. And mm. the book that I chose is a book by Philip Petit. It is called Man on Wire. You may have heard of this. Ah! I've seen the film. It was the film. It was the film by, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, I saw the documentary. Oh, you saw the documentary. Uh, yes. Well, it was also a documentary. And by then it was the movie with <laughs> jo Joseph Gordon-Levitt with a French accent. And it, it was it was a fine movie. Uh, it was It's fun. But the book came first, people. And you have to give it a shot. It's actually a short one. It's only five hours and 49 minutes. It is by, as I said, Philip Petit, the high wire artist himself. It is narrated by Andrew Heil. It is the story of his six years of work and fascination. Actually, his lifelong desire to uh, do something on this grand scale and then the six years that he tried to make it a reality and finally his experience of of walking on a high wire between the twin towers of the world trade center in new york city it is a wonderful wonderful story and it, it's actually a story of somebody who does walk off a building hmm. and survives so right there you go. That's it. Uh, Man on Wire, Philip Petit. You should check it out. It's worth it. For you, and yes, just for you, the listeners of What's That Smell, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Again, visit www.audibletrial.com slash scent of a podcast. Give it a try. Whoa, whoa. We don't pay to advertise this show, so we really appreciate you sharing it with others you think would be interested. And since we're still a new show, you know, we're just wrapping up our first season here. Those five-star reviews in iTunes and Apple Podcasts really help others to discover the show. If you like what you've heard, share the love with a review and a comment. And, you know, you could take a note from uh, Deliman5, who says we're hilarious and cathartic. Uh, nobody's ever said that about me. Uh, or uh, Jay Jack, who says, watch, I mean, listen, and called us informative and heartwarming. Tommy. Oh, that's so great. There's uh, Juggling It All. There's Maddie Simmons 257. There's Tara Jane 5. They all are better than you, is what you're saying, <laughs> is what we're saying, because they've already given us a review and type something. They've given us a review. Do you want to hear yeah, your name in lights? That doesn't make any sense, but if you want to hear your name in lights, leave us a review and a five star review and stars coming up next week i have no lesson on this one tom i have no oh. lesson it only gets worse if i keep talking so i think i should stop are we just gonna call it <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the podcast everybody we're on our own
Oh, and they also prey on pests. But unless they start just eating themselves, then they're ignoring the biggest pests there, and <laughs> ants can suck it. I got to run five, okay. 500 miles. Good run 500 miles. There you go. 500 miles. Wow. And then I'll, I guess I'll run 500 more. <laughs> just to be that be man. That man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, you know, you yeah. sometimes you ease into the joke. Anyway, that's 10 miles a week. 10 miles a week. <laughs> Thank you all so much for joining us today. Today's tune was Born to Become by Maya Johanna. Until then, I'm Tommy Metzler. And I'm Pete Wright. Thank you for downloading. We'll be back next week on What's That Smell?